They should now know deep down that the gig's up. Or should they? Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of F1 in Review, the episode, the hour and part two of where we look back at round seven of the Monaco Grand Prix. I'm Tom Claibon and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. You can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review accounts. And unfortunately the first topic was just after we recorded and broadcast last episode but some huge news and one that deserves a great deal of time and indeed while we're starting with it, Sergio Perez. The man who won at Monaco has signed himself a two-year contract extension with Red Bull, keeping him at the team until 2024. He's currently third in the Drivers' Championship. For those who don't know, just 15 points, equivalent to a P3 finish, off Verstappen in first, or six points, or otherwise known as a P7 finish, as it equates in numbers, off Leclerc. And uh, Red Bull team principal Christian Horner said the decision to extend was a no-brainer. And he's absolutely right, isn't he? Great news for Perez there. It is great news for Perez because it's good to see some stability in the Red Bull team, which is something we've been missing for a very long time now. And I think given that there was some scepticism over Perez's longevity within Red Bull, especially when he sort of just got into the Red Bull team and, you know, he was he was sort of in that seventh position. He came in at about seventh, sixth. There was some speculation within the community that they had that Red Bull yet again had picked a driver that wasn't really going to be able to perform. And to his credit, he has absolutely demonstrated his worth to the team um, numerous occasions now. Not only, for example, well, speak it's Azerbaijan this weekend. So if you look at Azerbaijan last year, he won it because Max had that puncture. So, and speaking of last year. He also did that incredible defence um, of, of Hamilton and backed Hamilton um, back up the track in the infamous now Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, allowing Max Verstappen to, to make up like 11 second deficit and get right up behind him. So, yeah, he he has now been nicknamed, you know, sort of Secretary of Defence, Minister of Defence, because of his, his amazing ability to do that. And also the tyre whisperer, because he can he can also manage his tyres really well. So, to be honest, he's kind of the complete package, isn't he? He's, you know, great defence, um, team player, able to look after his own car and his own tyres. And yeah, he makes mistakes. For example, in Monaco, uh, he had that accident in qualifying which did cause a couple of problems um but look you know everyone makes mistakes and everyone has that problem but the point is is more often than not he is actually helping the team he is being useful to them and hey look he's you know he's creeping up the up the championship standings he could be fighting max so i'm not surprised red bull are keeping him on i i would definitely do that it's just now calling into question everyone else waiting in the wings who we thought might take his place. So, yeah, some questions over that. But absolutely amazing for, for Perez. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of... I feel like I've been on the uh, Sergio Perez hype train for a while now. And I've always I've always rated him highly. Raced him so highly that last year in my pre-season predictions... I said that he would get more points than Max Verstappen in the championship. Um, <laughs> admittedly, uh. probably probably got a bit giddy um, before that. <laughs> but at the same time, I think a couple of things have helped so far this year, at least. One, he's had a year in that team, and 
anyone can vouch for, whether it's in their personal or professional life. Once you have, as much as change makes you a more diverse person and it allows you to increase your adaptability, once you get routines, once you get things occurring week after week or similar things occurring week after week, hour after hour, different days of the week, at your, especially at your work, what you're being paid to do, then it really does help your mindset. And I think we're seeing the benefit of that for Paris this year, just having similar processes like the the bedding like I feel like the bedding in period at a Formula One team is perhaps as like strenuous or as long as it can be in any in many professions because it's such an intense such an intense period, uh, especially at the start of your time with a new team. But he's really bedded in and settled well in this current moment. I think as well he's taken pretty much every opportunity he's he's been given so far this year, to be honest. Um we spoke about you spoke Tristan about his qualifying crash. And yes, that was obviously a mistake but he won the race so you can't really fault it i mean points are on the sunday right and then saudi he got the pole and then was for once of a better word shafted by the safety car uh or the virtual safety car becoming a safety car and that meant his pit stop was at completely the wrong time by chance so otherwise he's been flawless he's been really up there he's been he's almost been i found the one thing I think that held him back last year was that his qualifying wasn't as strong as it could have been. And we talk about that's always been the thing with the second Red Bull driver. Alex Albon used to lack the experience to carve his way through like a, the lower end of a top 10 to get back up to fighting at the front. But Perez got away, not got away with it, but he was good at it last year. He has the experience and he was good at doing that kind of thing, getting back up onto the tail of the leading Mercedes and also of his teammates. And this year, his qualifying is much improved and he's managed to get himself in those good positions from the start. Admittedly, I feel like, the I don't know, well, the, maybe the Red Bull is stronger than compared to the rest of the midfield than it was last year. Obviously, it was stronger last year, but he's still, he's taking those opportunities more. And again, to be honest, that probably links back to betting into the team better. Um, and yeah, I think it's been a very strong start. And the contract is, is there's a, very much justified and a great reward for a driver of his caliber it blocks off the options of quite a few red bull juniors but in terms of red bull and their short medium and well until 2024 their long-term future i think it's definitely the right decision and it's been proven to be what based on the season he's had so far has proved to be the wise decision to renew his contract so i'm looking at the driver ratings because that's something we did in April, Tom, mm. and I'm looking at your ratings for him. You gave Perez an A, uh, yes, nice. eight, eight out of nine out of ten, um, and then you gave Verstappen also an eight or nine out of ten. So, you know, clearly you are quite. You know, would you still say that Max and Perez are equally matched there in terms of their their strength? I think, yeah, if you look at the current leaderboard with the Drivers' Championship, if you'd have had a better result there for Perez and there wasn't team orders in Reese prior, you would have him above Leclerc and there's still a chance that he could overtake Leclerc purely on his ability alone and the fact that he is really you know, doing well in this car and also giving Max a run for his money when he has, has the ability to or is able to, really. I can't really think of anyone who's more deserving of a contract on the grid aside from Perez. I remember last season I wasn't wholly convinced by him. Very patchy, I thought. He finished very strong, but as we say, the consistency wasn't there. But now I kind of wonder that yes, Perez and Red Bull, Perez and Verstappen, sorry, have been performing very well. I'd say equally in some weekends, as I've seen by Perez outperforming Verstappen. I'd say at Monaco, does this new contract change the dynamic? Because before, when his contract, that's Perez's contract, was up at the end of the season, the team kind of had some leverage over him, as in. You know, do as we say, we're Team Max, we put him first, or, you know, you be careful, we could get uh, Pierre Gasly coming to go and replace you. But now that stick has gone, hasn't it, really? Perez, in my view now, has more freedom to run his own race within some confines, of course. And he has the comfort of knowing that, you know, whatever happens within reason, he's going to be there until 2024, two years' time. Do you think that's mm. fair? Do you think this changes the dynamic of Red Bull slightly? It's less so much Team Max now, more a more collegiate Red Bull team, particularly when you see that 
there's only what six points between Leclerc and Perez. They could easily get a one-two in the drivers and win the constructors right now. Well, you summed it up, didn't you? Really, because beforehand there was always that that overshadow of the notion that at any time the team could just sort of dump you for an, for another person, and I suppose by giving him that extension to his contract it allows him to firstly set out what he wants from his future at the team because there will be negotiation there Mm. and secondly as you say i think that it will allow him to say well look you know if you're going to bring me on for the long term then this has got to be this has got to no longer just be you know super max champion of the world and and sort Mm. of has to now be Super Red Bull <laughs> domination <laughs> uh, because Red Bull know f- that Max's brilliance and and win last year did come at a cost. It, it And that cost was kind of the, the Constructors' Championship as well because their car just, you know, didn't necessarily favour Perez all that much. And if you continuously screw over your second driver then if something happens to your front runner, then you've kind of screwed yourself over. And especially at the moment with the current landscape of Formula One, you can't guarantee reliability. You can't guarantee that someone else is, is going to be able to control their car. So I think Perez has negotiated his, you know, him, himself into a position where he will have played the card of, well, if, you, if I'm with you, you want me because they do want him. There's no one else, really, mm. let's face it then, hey, it's got to be Team Us, not just Team Max. And that's something I think perhaps Ricardo failed to do when he jumped out of Red Bull to, to Renault all those years ago. Mm. So I, I think Red Bull are certainly, or I hope they are, they should be, playing the, the I suppose, the, the card Well, of, well, if you can you know get yourself up to the top level in the championship, then it's yours to fight with Max, which is how we want it to be as as fans. Well, don't tell Jos Verstappen, Max's dad, <laughs> but there may be another rooster in the in the hen house. Uh, but, on, but on a serious note, the dynamic, I think, inevitably changes. As much as Red Bull don't want to say it changes, I think it inevitably does a bit. I think mm. it's eased by the fact that Max and Sergio seem to get on really well. I think Max is... I think you could honestly see in the the years before Max was getting frustrated at having a teammate who couldn't keep up. Obviously he's again, he's friendly with Gasly and Albon because they're, because they're all similar ages. But I think you could tell that Max was frustrated with not having a teammate who could keep up and help him at the front. Not that Max wasn't able to put in stellar performances consistently, but he was just wishing for his sake, for the team's sake, that there was more support there. And I think, he now really, I think he still really appreciates the support that Perez gives him. I mean, lest we forget, to be honest, Abu Dhabi last year where Perez held up Hamilton for a good 10 seconds mm-hmm. or so, mm-hmm. which in the end made the gap small enough that when there was that virtual safety car, Mercedes didn't feel comfortable enough to pit for fresh tyres for fear of losing track position. That's a prime example of Perez being a superb team player helping Max and the team achieve their goals. The dynamic now changing in the fact that Perez seems to be, rightly so, going more towards his goals as well. And the fact that he he'll, he will, may have a big part to play in this championship. So the dynamics change, but we are yet to see the dynamic change in a negative way. And I can't see that anytime soon. At the same time, Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg were doing just fine as teammates when they were fighting for the title at the start <laughs> of the season. And that turned sour. So you, you never know. But I would say at the moment... It looks like a good vibe in that Red Bull team, where I think Max knows he, he he knows he's the best on the grid, and he knows he's got that upper hand, probably seven eight times out of ten on on Sergio. But I still think there's a chance that Sergio, chance that Sergio, of course, raises his game even further. But for me, it's crazy to think this. Max Verstappen's only 24 years old still, so. He's not even in his prime, arguably. Even though you would, even though it could be seen, he could be seen right now to be operating close to his best or at his best that he's been in the sport yet. But whilst it may change the dynamic, I don't think 
it's a huge change. I just think it's more it's turning it more into an environment of greater cooperation and teamwork, which would actually benefit Red Bull and you could argue would be a scary prospect for the rest of the grid. And as we've said so many times, haven't we, Red Bull need to inform drivers to be winning the constructors if they really want to go for that. And currently, mm-hmm. Ferrari have had a bit of a dip in form, but they've got two really good drivers as well in the form of Sainz and Eclair. Arguably the best pairing, I said, at the start of the season. So it's in Red Bull's interest, really, to make sure that Perez knows that he's loved there at Red Bull, he's given the freedom, is able to go for race wins, and that you know the competition drives up performances. Because... As we were saying there, as you were saying there, Angus and uh, Tristan, with the fact that Verstappen was number one, that was fine for him, but there was no one there keeping him honest. It was always him having to drag the team up. And I suppose, you know, there's obvious winners, aren't there, from this? Red Bull, Perez, in the shorter term, he'll be 34 by the time his contract runs out, so that may be it at the top of the table for him. But there's obvious losers as well, aren't there? Writing's on the wall, I think, for Pierre Gasly now, as we hinted at earlier. He's still got to be out with AlphaTauri until the end of 2022, this coming season. And yes, you know, he's he's got a good seat for the season. What happens after that, really? Because currently, if we look at the grid... You've got Aston Martin and Williams with two free seats. Is that a downgrade? I'd probably say so. A sideways move at best. Currently, you've got the seat of Zhao at Alfa Romeo and Magnussen at Haas are free at the same time. But does he really want to be jumping down, I'd say, to those two teams? Does he perhaps wait a year when you have currently both Mercedes seats up uh, for grabs, but of course that won't, may well change, and Ricardo's in 23. So what do we think? Should Pierre Gasly stay on with AlphaTauri for another year? Should he twist? Should he stay for longer? What's our thoughts on his future? Oh, poor Gasly. I feel like every time we talk about him, we're all hoping that he's going to get his magic contract. We're going to be like, yeah, Gasly's <laughs> off to Ferrari or something like that. But everyone's everyone's locking down talent. And Gasly's like, um, I suppose, that the one no one wants to pick at the moment. But for all the wrong reasons, I don't know. It's it's really tricky because he Alpha Tauri last year was a top, mid, you know, top midf- midfield car. He got his first podium in Formula One at Azerbaijan in the Alpha Tauri. And then he got his first win for Alpha Tauri. And so the car is capable, the team was capable. So for, you know, if, if you said to me this last year, I'd be like, well, you know, yes, he's not quite in the top mid, you know, top, top team car. But, you know, he was... It was not that much different than being in something like a Ferrari, but of course now the dynamics have changed, and AlphaTauri is sort of a a, a mid midfield team to sort of back of the midfield team. Then he might have itchy feet, and AlphaTauri I think want to keep him. The narrative from them is they actually really like him as a as a driver for them. He's he's you know, very talented, but I just don't know where he can go. Not, mm. and with, I suppose there there is some rumors that people like McLaren don't want to get, you know, want to get rid of Ricardo, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Then potentially there's the McLaren seat, but Gasly, we all know where Gasly really wants to go, and he wants to go to Red Bull, so. I think if I was him, I think he's going to stick it out for Alf- with AlphaTauri for a couple more years. And then if it doesn't work, then then I could see him moving on to another team. But Red Bull is one of those nice teams where, and, and AlphaTauri, I suppose, is one of those nice teams where you can kind of go anywhere. Let's not forget that the the Red Bull Drivers Academy has brought up some amazing drivers over over the years. So if you look at Ferrari, for example, that is a place where he could potentially go um in the future because Carlos Sainz drove for um the Toro Rosso when AlphaTauri was called Toro Rosso. So, you know, he could wait it out and see if he can vine for a seat there in a few years' time. Um or he could try and, and edge his way into, you know, a, a team that is up and coming. Yes, you're right. Aston Martin is a bit of a downgrade now, but Sebastian Vettel's going to go, 
and so that is an option for him. Or of course, there's Alpine with the you know with potentially someone like Ocon going to Mercedes when Lewis Hamilton eventually retires. Then a step to Alpine could be a good move for him because let's not forget that Alpine has this massive backing from Renault, and Renault isn't a, a small sport in Formula One, uh, a small team in you know Formula One. You know they are a world championship team in themselves, so he has options. But I think he's he's just going to wait it out because he loves the Red Bull team so much. But I could I could be wrong there. He might well just decide to jump off to Aston Martin if Vettel retires this year. I think this is his moment to jump. Honestly, I think this is with Perez getting that contract. It's clear Red Bull don't want Gasly. I'm sorry, mate. They don't want you, and it's it's been spelled out to you in quite uncertain terms. I think the fact that they have. One, got, uh, diverted from their tried and tested junior driver promotion cycle for those seats. And the fact that they've not only done that for one year, they did it for a second year, and now they've extended it so that it's going to be happening for four years. That's not just them saying, oh, we don't think you're, you've got any hope of being the senior team. That's also That's also slamming the door shut in the face of all the Red Bull juniors of Yuki Tsunoda, who they have high hopes for. So for me, like it's done for Gasly at Red Bull. And I struggle to believe this um, point that people put across that Alpha Tauri has the potential to be a force to be reckoned with and that Gasly should stay there and that he should um, wait it out and he could bring them forward. I'm sorry, they're a feeder team. They are never going to be more than, in my opinion, fifth or sixth in the Constructors' Championship. Even last year with Gasly on red-hot form, he got enough points to finish sixth in the, cha- the Constructors' Championship by himself. Pierre Gasly in sixth in the Constructors. And he was let down by the other driver not being as strong and not bringing home the points. But that is, that's not just down to Sonoda. That's also a team who does not always take its opportunities, in my opinion. And there's been many occasions where Alpha Tauri, they are strong. They've got... Great raw pace on their day, but do they always make the most of it? Do they put the ball in the back of the net, to use a football analogy? No, not all the time, to be honest. So I think Gasly would be better served moving. Now, where would that be? McLaren is an option if Ricardo goes south even further there. I mean, Alpine, people tend to they tend to go, oh, he's a French driver, so he must be amazing in a French team. It's just meant to be. Um, that's been thrown at him for, over the years. But to be honest, if they... Up, move up the grid it's a possibility but that doesn't look like there's a seat open there Aston Martin perhaps should Vettel kick the can should he decide to call it a day but I, I don't know I just I'm not convinced that he should stay at AlphaTauri for me it's a case of not that not that this year is a sliding doors moment but I feel like if Gassi doesn't move on and try something new try something different what's he got to lose AlphaTauri don't win races other than that one time where at Monza where Mercedes and Red Bull dropped the ball and Gasly was there to capitalise when he got that podium in Azerbaijan last year it's because other drivers dropped the ball and he was there to capitalise yes he was there to capitalise but capitalise was all he did he wasn't there in the thick end of stuff from the, from the top from the off so what's he got to lose moving to an Aston Martin or an Alpine or a McLaren in terms of his long-term prospects for me. So I think that it's a clear sign they... That, sorry, mate. Sorry, Pierre. They don't want you there. Um, I think flee the nest. And also, it's it's now confirmed. I think there's a thing in his contract where because Red Bull have turned him down for the future, he is free to negotiate with other teams. It's not like he's bound by this Red Bull Alpha Tauri chain. He's now free to go and talk to other teams. So if I was him, I would take that opportunity. I have a I have a left field suggestion though. I want to hear okay. your thoughts. Pierre Gasly to Mercedes. I'd back it, hundred percent. I think yeah, it makes sense. It's just I think they go with Ocon first, or they. I think even though his contract is watertight, I still think they would try to find some way to get Lando Norris in and have a a, a British dream team of Russell and Norris. So whilst Gasly could be an option, I don't think he's high up the list. 
Mm, well, I mean, looking at Gasly now, how old is he? He's 26, so he'll be 27 by the time the season ends. And if you look at Perez, who we were just speaking about there earlier, just because you're 28, 29 doesn't mean it's over. You know, far from it. We've got races such as Hamilton and Raikkonen Pryor going into their mid-30s and 40s. So I don't think he should be of the mentality that it's now or never, because what he has now are three teams that are worse than him and a second seat Alfa Romeo where Bottas is undisputably going to be number one driver in terms of the hierarchy there. So in that regard, with Mercedes in mind, with Ricardo's contract in mind, if I were Gasly, I'd stay on for one more year at Alfa Tauri where it's a comfortable team where you're going to be in the midfield, you're going to be number one driver, you're going to have things your way. Give it one more year, you'll be 28 years old by then. And then look at uh, the landscape there and what's available because there's so much better seats, constructors, everything in a year's time currently than there is now. And I get the point that he must be really frustrated being AlphaTauri still and being shunned by Red Bull. But do we really have any ambitions or any you know clear clarity that Aston Martin or Williams are going to be better? Not at all, really, in my view. And then again, you're going into a team where Stroll is going to be very much the superior in terms of either the kit that he gets or the say that he gets. Albon's doing very well after the departure of George Russell. Exceeding expectations, I'd say. So, of course, he's not going to yield power very easily. But, I mean, the relationship that we'll get onto very shortly between Ricardo and McLaren is festering at best. You've got George Russell, of course, that will stay on at Mercedes unless something radical happens. And and Hamilton going towards the end of his career in terms of age. So in my view, stick it out for one more year and then see how the landscape looks. And um, I think he'll be a much happier man, put it that way. There's a, the, the thing is, though, this all rides, I guess, off of other people's misfortunes to some extent. And the, you know, the happiest outcome, I think, would be something like Mercedes deciding um, to pick him up if Lewis Hamilton retires but there is another saving grace for potentially for Gasly and that's he would be a prime candidate for a new team if someone like Andretti does make their way into Formula 1 or if the VW group confirm actually launching a car into the into the into the sport then potentially someone like Pierre Gasly becomes a, a good option because mm. they would want someone who has been able to win a race and has been able to pick up a podium and Angus you know as you say has is able to capitalize on opportunity and no team entering a sport will will think they're going to be a top team immediately you know you always want to look like rock stars but sometimes you do end up <laughs> Uh, looking not like rock stars, to uh, <laughs> paraphrase a certain Hass team principal, <laughs> and and so actually, I would if I was Andretti and I was actually going to join the team and it, uh, join the sport, and if he does, then someone like Pierre Gasly would be absolutely brilliant because he kind of ticks all those boxes, and for, I think for him as well it would provide him an opportunity to escape the clutches of, of the the Red Bull um, Drivers Academy and ditch the people that don't like him. And unfortunately, Helmut Marko has, has not made it a secret that he dislikes Pierre Gasly. And that's what kind of makes Pierre Gasly's victories over the over, you know, last couple of years even sweeter. So <laughs> what do you think? Do you think actually Pierre Gasly could be going somewhere completely left field you know, such as Mercedes but also into into a new team if they join I mean it's distinctly possible isn't it with uh, the Volkswagen group they're very much showing their interest and intention to go into Formula 1 you've not only got experience there in terms of knowledge of creating good racecraft, but also a lot of money as well we spoke earlier about Renault being a huge supporter of Alpine and a huge car manufacturer in their own right there's a lot of cash behind them but think the cash that they, the Volkswagen would give their team versus, let's say, not only Renault, but Aston Martin as well and the other constructors. So it would be a gamble for sure because it doesn't always work out, does it? BMW, for example, coming into yeah. Formula One and not really doing a lot, honestly. Aston Martin as well. It's not been so far so good for them, you'd say. But um, I think it's one of those where if you look at the current landscape next year and both Mercedes seats are gone, 
Ricardo's seat's gone. The only option he has is to move sideways at best to the teams I've spoken around or indeed to go down. Then why not twist? But I think at the age of 26, hold your horses. Hold your horses. It's interesting, I'd say, as well, that you talk about being the perfect new driver for a new team. Well, let's remind ourselves of when a mid midfield, very highly rated, naturally quick French driver in his, what, mid to late 20s, moved from a midfield team to an American startup team, Roman Grosjean to Haas back in 2016. Mm. And that didn't work out as well as it could have done. So beware Pierre. Yeah, but the thing about (laughs) about Roman Grosjean is he had at Lotus already built a reputation of not always being the most reliable individual to finish a race. I get, yeah. So so there, there is that subtle difference. And you also... I know we joke about Grosjean, but he, you know there was that fiery talent there, and yep. he was, you know, he was a good driver. And actually, it, when when they went, when Magnussen and Roman Grosjean left the team, and we got that new, you know, those new drivers in Mazepin and Schumacher, it really demonstrated how bad the Haas car was because Magnussen and Grosjean really propped the team up for a long time. I think with a car that was not very good. So, that Roman Grosjean is an interesting case, and you're right to 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 speculate that maybe you know that we could see history repeating itself. But Roman Grosjean was slightly less than reliable at best, unreliable at worst to to actually complete races properly, and he did have his moments of glory at Lotus. But I wouldn't put them in the same camp, would you, Tom? No, I think Grosjean had a very good start to his Haas life, didn't he? He was far above Esteban Gutierrez, uh, Gutierrez, should I say. But I wouldn't say they're necessarily the same because Gasly is far more consistent in terms of what he can produce. Meanwhile, Grosjean, from memory, is very much peaks and troughs. One day or one race or in a couple of races, he'd be getting rather good finishes finishes of P5, 6, 7s, 4s. But then other races, I think Baku was the one, he um, crashed behind the safety car. So we've not seen Gasly <laughs> stoop to that level with respect yet. to Grosjean yet. Um, and then again, you've got to go and say that Gasly was in and is still in the Red Bull Academy and was at Red Bull because of the quality that he has and continues to have. Meanwhile, Grosjean never really got that treatment, did he? Which makes you think, well, A... Did Gasly show better quality from a younger age and Grosjean just matured later and showed it later? Or is Gasly just a better driver than Grosjean? I think you'd probably say he's just better than Grosjean. But it's always a it's a gamble, isn't it? Because you either get it, get a one where you go to a Toyota, let's say, or you go to a, a Braun GP. So we'll see. But it's certainly an option. And as promised, going on to the man we're speculating around in terms of his future in Formula 1, Daniel Ricciardo. We've spoken many a time about him, and I hate to repeat myself, but it's not been a good start for the McLaren driver. He's 11th in the Drivers' Championship. He scored points once. That was a P6 in his home Grand Prix of Australia. And if that were in isolation, his teammate were doing equally as bad, you go, well, fair enough. But compare him to Lando Norris in the same car, who's 7th in the Drivers' Championship, got a P3 to his name and four points finishes so far after seven races. Now, listeners of F1 in Review, be that old or new, will know that I'm very much a hawk of Daniel Ricciardo. Well, Tristan's more dovish, shall we say, in his outlook to how well he's been doing or not so well. But Angus has always been somewhere in the middle in terms of assessing Daniel Ricciardo's tenure so far at McLaren. So, Angus, what do you make of Ricciardo's form so far? Should McLaren stick with him until the end of his contract or beyond? or twist with him be that now or in a year's time I think I'm just going to remain in the middle again I can't lie but I'll just elongate my point Uh, (laughs) um, I think he's not doing himself any favours to be honest I think in terms of his on-track performance it's just not gelling it's not and we know it's it's Lando Norris's team we know that a bit like how McLaren used to be Lewis Hamilton's team and then we wondered if Jensen Button, when he joined McLaren, we were like, oh, why has he joined McLaren? It's Hamilton's team. Button will get destroyed um, after Button just won the World Championship. Now, 
Ricardo came into this team after a leaner couple of years, having been beaten by Max Verstappen and then sort of imposing himself on the Renault team towards the end. But the phrase, the sentence imposing himself on the Renault team towards the end is not a sentence you want want described of yourself when you're in Formula 1 and trying to establish yourself. And I think that the goodwill, the enormous amount of goodwill that came from his win at Monza last year, because it was one, unexpected, two, a phenomenal day. I think the goodwill from that is slowly dissipating. It lasted a while and it built up his stock again and it sort of coincided with a stronger end to the season. But he's just not been on it this year. It's really strange because Ricardo of old was phenomenal. He's a phenomenal driver and we forget that because he was in a Red Bull car which was never the fastest on the grid, he was actually a stunning driver. Like his his late uh, late breaking overtakes the fact he's never won a Grand Prix bar one from pole position, so his wins were always like coming through the field, or coming through the field, coming through like fourth, fifth, or sixth, or to take wins in dramatic circumstances. So, in terms of en- an entertainer and box office, he was phenomenal, and he backed it up with incredible raw speed and phenomenal racecraft. And that driver's just is disappearing, man. I don't know where it's it's just it's not there anymore. He's thirty two years old. He's not really picking it up at McLaren this year. The weird events the last couple of weeks where Zach Brown came out in the media and said there is an option. He's he's there till 2023, but there's an option to not renew it, but then it's down to him. Well, <laughs> that's nice and that's nice and clear, isn't it? Um so that was a bit strange. Little things like his his comments in the press him saying um he knows he's struggling and he has doubts sometimes that he, whether he'll ever get it back. I mean, that's that's very open of him to be fair. Uh, but still, interesting thing to be saying in the press. There was his uh, his helmet, which had the initials FEA on them, which I can't remember the non-explicit version, but the explicit version was basically, to put it politely, screw them all. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> pre-radio, so, it's, it's, there. <laughs> yes, seeing that seeing that on his helmet, like again, one of those things where I mean, it probably means absolutely nothing. You know how the media plays these things out. But I don't know. Something just doesn't seem right. And you've got you've got people in the wings. You've got possibly Pierre Gasly, like we've discussed earlier in the podcast. If you look further afield, you've got two promising young uh, Pan American or North American drivers in Patricio Awards and Colton Herta, who are both in like the McLaren stable or have tested a McLaren F1 car, expressed their interest in being in F1. Uh, crossing the pond from IndyCar, Patricio Award especially, who's a McLaren reserve driver now and has in consecutive years finished in the top three in the Indianapolis 500, which is like one of the most prestigious, or the sorry, the most prestigious race in America. So McLaren have options, who would also be youthful options, Award and Herter being both, I believe, 21, 22, at least born in this century. So the... The the waves are encircling Ricardo, I feel, and it's just it's just strange because like he's such a good driver, and back in the day he was phenomenal, and now he's at a new team. And whilst at Renault, even he, admittedly, year two he was up against a a an Esteban Ocon, an Esteban Ocon. Yep. He was up against he was <laughs> up he was up against Esteban Ocon, who had been on a sabbatical, and he did managed to defeat him quite convincingly but it's just not click for him McLaren and it still isn't clicking and does that at the same time does that make him a rubbish driver now no it doesn't he's just having a bad experience at a team but does it diminish his reputation and make the likelihood of a contract renewal or the likelihood of a contract severing an early severing does that make it more likely it does but I still to go back to my point of being on the fence in the middle, there's still time for him to turn it around, but it he's got to, he's got to do it quick because it, it's not looking it's not looking like a great season right now. It's definitely difficult for McLaren to make up their mind, I think, and that's why we're getting such weird messages from 
people like Zach Brown, who I think in his nature won't lie and will say things like, well, we are disappointed with his results and he is not performing very well. And Ricardo has said that, you know, he's not lying when he says stuff like that and acknowledges that he hasn't necessarily delivered for the team this year and that he was sort of lucky last year to get the, that that race win um, in Monza. But on the other hand as well, is, is McLaren willing to give up the driver that's helped them develop the car thus far, helped input into its feel, and, you know, the car output has been relatively good so far. It's, and it's it started off not so bueno, but has certainly improved as the season's gone on to the point now where we're looking at Lando Norris sort of challenging for, well, at least podium starts, you know, first, second or third place starts. And so let's not forget that a driver's responsibility is also to help the team develop that car. It would be ironic if he can develop it but not drive it, I must admit. But, you know, he will have helped with that thing. And so is McLaren willing to start all over again, given that we've seen the the kind of disaster that that can ha- that, yeah, that can cause when you look at someone like Red Bull? when they got rid of Pierre Gasly, then got rid of Alex Albon, and then finally, after all that time, they got in Sergio Perez. And so is McLaren willing to to dump Ricardo in the hope that they can pull in another driver? And then, of course, we ask, where who where's that driver coming from? Now, you know, the best hope for them, I think, at the moment, is pulling in someone like Pierre Gasly. But... That it would be weird, right, if Pierre Gasly's only a chance to get into a top team is thanks to another driver being a bit crap, and then <laughs> being pulled in, you know, as a oh look, you're you're okay, let's let's bring you in, sort of driver, and of course then he has the same pressures on him because then McLaren say, well actually we're a team that will drop you if you don't perform, so you better perform, and we all know how Pierre Gasly reacts to that sort of pressure, so. I think McLaren's best chance at the moment is waiting out and making sure, at least to the end of the season, that Ricardo, you know, isn't going to improve. But I don't think McLaren's going to set themselves a precedent of dropping drivers particularly early. I mean, that's just that's just my opinion, to be honest. And, you know, Zach Brown could be ruthless if he wanted to be. Yeah, I think you're right, really. But for me, it's a question of when, not if, Ricardo is replaced. I think the gig is up... Um, and really, it's been a quite a disappointing start to the season after we saw drivers like Perez, for example, kick on after bedding themselves in for a year. Signs doing, well, you have to say, less well this year than last year, but still being you know fairly consistent on what he can deliver and has delivered. But there's no question, is there, that Ricardo is a very talented driver. But we've got to look at what he was brought in to do. He was brought in as an equal, or maybe even a superior, to Lando Norris. And Lando Norris has absolutely whipped him something good after a season and seven races. And the bigger question for me is, when it comes to McLaren, what do they want to be? Do they want to break into that top four and solidify themselves and even push for the top three and go after McLaren? Because Sorry, go after Mercedes, because Mercedes currently, although it's fading somewhat, are still there uh, to be taken advantage of in terms of out-qualifying and out-racing them. And as we say so many times throughout the entirety of F1 in review, from the birth of it, you need two drivers to be firing on all cylinders if you want to be doing well in the constructors. And the constructors is not only, oh, well done, you got third place versus fourth place, congratulations. There's millions of pounds and dollars that are the difference there between those places. And that affects not only the season after that, the season after that, and there's an entire domino effect, and we know how poorly McLaren have been affected by the pandemic in terms of their finances. And when you consider the large pay packet that Ricardo's on, is he delivering on what he was brought in to do? Yes, the car is still going strong in fourth place and they've fixed those issues, but he needs to go and deliver on track now. And I think he's kind of running out of excuses because he's a very experienced driver. He has done it before, but it's just not working out, is it? The question now is, when do you replace him? If you're being really cutthroat, I'd say you give him until the summer break and say, well sorry, it's not working out, you'll have to go the end of the season. I've heard rumours prior from, I believe, Reuters saying that um, McLaren were even considering dropping him 
in the middle of the summer break for Gasly. I doubt how credible that is. Probably more rumours than substance, but we'll see. But it really does show, doesn't it, how under the cosh he is. And McLaren are the ones that are taking the brunt for it, really. Because how long do you give? Do you give Ricardo another season? And then if he slightly improves, do you give him a season after that? Kind of got to be cutthroat, really. And he's not delivering. The question is, who's next? There's not a huge talent pool, is there? As there was a few seasons ago. Many of the experienced drivers akin to him, like Bottas, for example, have been gobbled up. Other drivers who have of of near equal standing to Gasly and like O'Connor, fairly solidified there in Alpine. Not too much talent kicking around, so that's probably the reason why they're I think refraining currently. But it's not not looking good, and it is a shame because I was really excited, genuinely excited to go and see Ricardo. I was to uh, go to McLaren, but it's really just not worked out, and it is a shame because. I, I may sound like an old historian, but why on earth leave Red Bull for to go to Renault? It was such a questionable decision, but I'll, I'll stop from opening that can of worms. Where, where is it then that Ricardo would be in this driver's standings that would make him useful to the team? Because he's in 11th place at the moment. Norris mm. is in 7th. So let's say that's his benchmark. Above him is Magnussen, which yes, is he should probably be ahead of Magnussen, Ocon and Bottas. Mm. Where 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 would you say Ricardo will have to be at the end of the season for him to retain his seat? For him to retain his seat, he's got to be level or beating Bottas. Because you bear in mind that Bottas has just come into the Alfa Romeo car. It's a weaker car as well than McLaren. Ricardo is a better driver, I'd say, in terms of raw quality than Bottas. He's got to be top ten at least, and if he's then what eighth, just behind his teammate with Norris, I think that's a part. That's a pass, really. Yeah. I think they may look at it on a different metric. I think, based on the fact that Norris is currently just the two points behind Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes, I'd say he's definitely outperforming that car as we're getting used to see him do now. Ricardo on eleven points. That is what just well just under twenty five percent of Norris's points. So, in my opinion, if he doesn't have at least half, even if he did have half of Norris's points, he's done for, in my opinion. You think he's going to need mm. half the points of Norris? So I think I, th- I think even that's not good enough, based on what McLaren wants, to be honest, and what they expect. I, I don't think... I, I disagree with you, though, that the McLaren is a better car than the Alfa Romeo. The Alfa Romeo mm. has been performing in sort of sixth place. Well, I think Bottas has been. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. But then that's that's what that's as much as you can squeeze out the car. I would say that the Alfa Romeo this year is is you know for whatever reason, and it's probably because of the engine in it actually, is incredibly good. Um, for for what it is, let let's face it. So I would say that to answer my own question, um, I would say that he needs to be at least eighth or ninth. I think yeah, if fair. he comes in in 10th, I think if he goes up one more place to 10th, then McLaren will be very... Yeah, they would have some difficult questions to ask themselves. But I don't believe that the McLaren this year is, you know, 6th or 7th um, place sort of competitive car. I mean, on the odd day, yes. But, you know, they haven't had a brilliant season. And... You know Norris is spectacularly good, apparently, to you know in in that car, and has been, as you say, sort of outperforming it. So I reckon eighth or ninth, and he'll be okay. But it's just such a shame that the happy-go-lucky Australian, you know, well, once upon a time, sort of championship contender, sort of individual, where we all went, oh wow, Ricardo could win a championship one day. That driver's sort of gone. And maybe that's the reason why, Tom, I'm so uh, optimistic for him, because I, I hark back to the days in, in Red Bull when Daniel Ricciardo, you know, won races like Monaco. Uh, and, yeah, and we want to hear him happy on, the, uh, ha- happy on the radio again consistently. And maybe Monza last year was the exception, not the rule, but victories like that will help his case. 
So it was another horrendous crash for Mick Schumacher at Monaco and it triggered a red flag. No points still to his name. And if we're looking at the data worth of damage, he has accrued 3.3 million US dollars after seven races in terms of damage. And ordinarily, that wouldn't be great, but it would be terrible. But now, of course, gents, we are in the cost cap environment, which stands at 140 million US dollars for each team. Now, if we look at the fact that Schumacher, one driver, has already eaten into that to the tune of 3.3 million, with inflation surging globally at 7% of the UK, it threatens to get as high as 10%. Is there a real genuine threat that Haas, along with Williams, who also accrued just over 3 million US dollars worth of damage so far, is there a real chance they could breach the new cost cap? And should there be some flexibility with all this in mind? They, they've said they're not going to be flexible, though, already. They've, um, the Formula One management has said that they're not going to give in to the big teams because people like Ferrari want to to increase the the cost cap as well i don't think they're going to do it i think they're going to stand by their um stand by their their laurels really and say well nope we've had the cost cap it's your fault for picking a driver that continuously crashes which in fairness is the driver's fault um but yeah there is absolutely a chance that they'll breach it i i don't know what what happens if they do do you know I don't know. I'm guessing some form of penalty, be that grid penalty or financial penalty, although that wouldn't really make a lot that of sense. That would be ironic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the endless cycle of penalties. I was going will, to... I will be in the process of looking it up. I'll just make a comment on uh, Mick Schumacher, who I've read an article that uh, he's now been given a new nickname in the Formula One paddock, and that nickname is not very flattering. It's Crash Kid, supposedly, Oof. and yeah, which kind of reflects, I think, the yeah the amount he's crashing. To be honest, it's not it's not much deeper than that. I think the the amount of damage he seems to have caused is ridiculous, and it it makes you think how expensive it is to assemble a Formula One car. At the same time, like. He, I don't know, he just has to stop crashing, really. It's not the best help in the world that he's low on confidence, he's crashing a bit, and what's coming up next? Another street circuit. Great, that's going to mm-hmm. help him. Um, so he really needs a instant free weekend coming up. I think we saw as well the first sign of unrest from the Haas team. I'll quote Gunter Steiner from after the race here. With Mick, we obviously saw what happened. It's not very satisfactory having a big crash again. We need to see how we move forward from here. Now that's quite that's quite ominous if you ask me. Not that they're suddenly going to sack him and rip up his contract, but I think they are getting a bit tired of his tendencies and also the fact that Magnussen's come in, done really well, hit the ground running, but they're losing points from Schumacher and we've spoken about it before, the crash he had with Vettel in Miami. The enormous shunt which of course we were glad to see he was, he was okay in the one he had in Jeddah yeah. which cost him a chance at points in the race in the first place or even somewhere like Imola spinning on the first lap ruining his race there Monaco even in I mean in Monaco he wasn't within a shout of points realistically he was going to finish like 12th 13th 14th but you'd rather finish 12th 13th 14th than crash out and add an extra million and a half dollars onto your team's uh, or a, a million and a half dollar dent into your team's cost cap into your team's budget so the more and more it happens the more and more the pressure is and the jury's still very much out on Mick Schumacher and and also the uh, the, the jury out on whether Hass's purse strings will be able to cope with the upcoming run of races because as I mentioned a minute ago these things these things aren't cheap the average give you the perspective the average price of an F1 monocoque which is the survival cell that basically helps build the sh- um, helps mold the chassis, is in excess of a million dollars, five hundred thousand dollars just for a gearbox. So, yeah, Mick, stop crashing, mate. I mean, it's costing a team a lot of money and a lot of points as well. Would you like to know the penalty, by the way? So, um, uh, they, oh, go, on. go on. There could be a few because, I, and here's one thing for you, by the way, the uh, they can actually exceed the cost cap by five percent. Um, provided they mm, obtain permission uh. for the spending beforehand, so you know they are. You're looking at sort of seven, seven million on a hundred, one hundred and forty million dollar cost cap, right? Yep. Um. So yeah, you're looking at seven million ish. 
um okay. that you go over so provided you have um permission so currently mick's not over that level yet so i guess he can have seven million dollars worth of crashing um <laughs> before you're at you you know you're over the extra little five percent um they might get a fine in terms of a financial penalty uh they could also get a fine it's a penalty on the track so like a grid penalty and of course let's not forget they could also be excluded from the world championship entirely mm. if they um found to you know be that severe so um yes you they could actually just have a massive fine which of course would come from the the team itself not its budget otherwise as you as we were laughing about you can end up in this weird endless endless fine um and where the stewards just end, go on very nice dinners um at the team's expenses mm-hmm. yeah and it's so important isn't it for Haas to make sure they don't exceed that and don't receive that penalty because we mentioned financial fines there it wasn't too long ago that their title sponsor Urakali pulled out owing to the Russia's invasion of Ukraine there so they're not rolling in money shall we say so they're arguably one of the teams that should be conserving their cash and keeping within the remits of it more than anyone, really. I mean, it'd be no surprise to anyone, as we hinted at earlier, with Williams being second in the constructors in terms of damage. Nicholas Atifi, the uh, second driver there in terms of accruing the most cost of damage, um, what is that, 2.9 million US dollars there. And Carlos Sainz, those who are interested, uh, 1.6 million US dollars there. And then Ocon, 1.4. And Stroll with 1.1 million US dollars there, keeping things nice and consistent. But yeah, I mean, it is an interesting one, isn't it? Because we're seeing many drivers there occurring huge damages and teams as well. But if you look at Red Bull, for example, they're just over 300,000 um US dollars there in terms of damage so while they've had reliability issues they haven't been too costly there but do we think the cost cap could influence how teams operate in the future I mean we saw a Jeddah for example after the huge crash uh, of Mick Schumacher not only due to medical reasons but also they'd said as well financial they decided not to go and field both their cars uh, has that is in terms of the race because they were so scared about the uh, cost that they could have to occur again when it comes to damages there so could this be playing on people's minds do you think when it comes to team principles and owners if it is, then it's it's job well done, really, for the FIA because we can't have a sport where people just willy-nilly smash into the barrier every time, <laughs> you know, they go onto track. And I suppose it, it prevents teams as well from having reckless drivers, which is what we like to see. It's just, I, it's just a really difficult situation now for Mick because he has now so much to prove. And mm. it's a really, really unfortunate spiral where you have a lot to prove, so you try harder, you try harder, and you end up causing yourself more problems in the long run sometimes you know it's best to steady the ship and make sure you just complete the race in a decent place no one's gonna be angry at him if you know frustrated if he finishes in 11th i mean mm. you know if you keep finishing 11th then maybe you go ah, oh, he's so close to points but at least finish the play you know the race that's all we want so maybe maybe that's the future for Pierre Gasly, sort of tying this whole thing, whole thing together. And this is inspiration from Angus, really. Maybe Mick is dropped, and Pierre Gasly, like Roman Grosjean before him, ends up in um, in that Haas car because Haas surely is going to be looking around for other talent. And if Schumacher is not performing, then someone like Pierre Gasly would be a bit of an upgrade for them, wouldn't it? It might be a mm. downgrade for Pierre, but. If Haas is a midfield team, uh, yeah, midfield team, which it is now, then that could be a really good option for Pierre, especially as Magnus has made the car work. So maybe the uh, maybe the dream team is is a Pierre Gasly and and Magnussen duo. I don't know. I'm just fielding that out there, but I think if if poor Mick Schumacher is unable to get points by the end of this season, or maybe even the summer break then I think his future is going to be a little bit shorter than his dad's. And there's no doubt that Mick Schumacher, along with Daniel Ricciardo, and less so much Perez and Gasly, will have a point to prove the next Grand Prix, that being Baku, that starts on Friday. 
You may have noticed by now we've concluded this episode of F1 in Review, episode 15. Thank you very much for tuning in on your preferred podcast provider. And whether you're listening live on River Radio or via the Listen Back feature, a reminder you can follow myself, Tristan, and the F1 in Review account. So we go to Baku, as I say, qualifying at 3pm on Saturday, and then the race midday on Sunday, where there's so many people with a point to prove, but so hard to predict how they'll do hence no predictions this time owing to some rather spectacularly wrong ones when it came to two Grand Prix ago in Spain but anyhow we look forward to seeing how Baku goes what that throws up for us and we'll be ready and willing to discuss all of that in the next episode of F1 in Review this time next week thank you very much for listening until next time see you later